In American society, money is a taboo topic. We're taught at a young age it's improper to talk about it, but we're also bombarded with messages about the power and importance of money in our everyday lives. And by not talking about it, we miss out on the skills and lessons we need to effectively understand and financially plan. That changes today. Welcome to Money Tales. Hosted by Sandy Brager and Cami Doder, Money Tales brings more than 35 years of combined professional experience in personal finance to demystify money and demonstrate what it's like to speak openly about personal financial matters. Join us each episode as they interview modern-day movers and shakers about how money decisions intertwine with their daily lives in order to give you better insight into productive financial conversations. Subscribe today and register for our blog, Fathom, at aspirient.com slash podcasts to increase your money mojo. And now, here's Cammie and Sandy. Hi, this is Cammie. John Lanza is our guest today on Money Tales. John is on a mission to help parents raise money-smart kids and help families live happier, more fulfilled lives. He and his wife were inspired to develop Money Mammals, a kid-friendly brand centered around financial education when their firstborn was six months old. They wanted to be sure to raise their daughter to be money smart. And John came up with the idea of Money Mammals as a way to get kids excited about money. It worked. John is the author of The Art of Allowance, a short, practical guide to raising money-smart, money-empowered kids, host of The Art of Allowance podcast, and creator of The Art of Allowance Project, featuring the money mammals, and now the new program for tweens and teens called Adolescence. Hi, this is Sandy. Here are three key Money Tales conversation topics John hits on in this conversation. First, why it's important to start money conversations early in a child's life. Second, how you don't have to be a money expert to talk money with your children. And third, beware of the hedonic treadmill. It's important to teach children to make money smart choices instead of focusing on purchases that make you satisfied only in that moment. If you like this episode, be sure to share it with a friend and please subscribe to Money Tales. Now, on to our conversation with John Lanza. Hey, Money Tales listeners. This is Cami. I'm here with my co-host, Sandy. Hello, Cami. What interesting money conversations have you had since we last talked? Well, Sandy, I think it's appropriate for our guest today to bring up allowances and money conversations I'm having with my kids who are, as you know, in their formative years, five and seven. They're really showing interest in money. And I think I've mentioned this before, meaning <laughs> they want to buy things. That's what their interest is. What do they want to buy? Candy and toys and books. I'll say they want to buy books, but mostly candy and toys. And they have a lot of toys and they definitely don't need any more candy. But it's been a great opportunity for us to start bringing up the ideas around an allowance. We haven't decided yet on what the allowance is, and maybe we'll ask our guests for some input. But we're trying to socialize the idea that money is not just for consuming, that you have to save it, that you need it for things beyond your immediate desires, and that it also should be used, if possible, to better society, help other people. They're young people. So I don't imagine them to grasp some of the bigger ideas, but still that they're really lucky and how can they help others? So that's the conversations we've been having. 
That's so great. Money tales in the home. I love it, Cami. It sounds like you and Roland are doing a great job. You can never start too early with these money conversations. Mm, I, I would agree with that. Well, what a perfect segue to introduce our guest today. Welcome, John Lanza, to the Money Tales podcast. Thank you, Cami. Thank you, Sandy. That uh, that's a great segue. I'm excited. So, John, why don't you provide a brief introduction and share two to three pivotal moments that really influenced you, pivotal moments in your life that have impacted you and and kind of made you the person you are today? These will come together. So I'll just start. When I was a kid, really, we spent so much of our time creating things. So this was video games. My really good friend who I ended up moving out to uh, Southern California with, and I created this little video game company. He programmed on the Texas Instruments machine. I was on a crummy Timex Sinclair machine. And I did amazing things with that machine. I mean, this is the computer that cost $100. You can buy it for 100 bucks. And if I do say so myself, I think I got the most out of that 100 bucks. Created games. We would just kind of make games based on the games we were playing. And that was fun. Like one called Motorcycle Madness. And then we had, I had created one. I started working on one. There was a game called Taipan when I was a kid that was very popular in some computers. So we did that. We sold one copy. Are you making these games for your own enjoyment, John? Or are you guys monetizing these games somehow? Yes, we were making these for our own enjoyment. Yeah, we well, we sold one to one of our friends. That was... <laughs> That was it. We did it largely for our own enjoyment. We actually had we had little covers, but it was it was super fun. And we used to make games all the time. Like I made Qbert was a, a video game used to play. I made a Qbert dice game. Yeah, we did like a game around. We did war games. So I, I created a World War One game that was actually pretty terrible. The main point being, it was very much about creativity. And I had a really unbelievably cool set of friends, and we just kind of nerded out on that kind of stuff. And then when I went to college, I majored in biology, but I kind of did, the college I went to didn't have an art minor, but I kind of did that. I only use the bio for playing Jeopardy now. And I just kind of went off in the, <laughs> in the artistic direction. And I moved to LA because that friend that I was talking about who was programming with me wanted to move out here too. I wanted to get into animation. And I I had the good fortune to work on some really amazing shows like Life with Louie starring the recently passed away, uh, Louis Anderson. It was a fantastic show. Proud Family, which is just now in a reboot. I produced the pilot of that. I worked on a movie called The Adventures of Tom Thumb and Thumbelina. It was fun, but they weren't my creations. I was kind of facilitating others and that creative itch wasn't really going away. And it was only when my wife and I had kids that inspiration really struck. And it struck in the sense that we were driving, we're here in Southern California, we were driving up to Lake Arrowhead. Now she's 19. She was six months old at the time. We said, how can we raise her to be money smart? This was just something that our accumulated experience told us we wanted to do with our kids. I came up with this idea called the money mammals to get kids excited about money and brought my brother in to create the music and then brought in some amazing puppeteers. And now we had this program and that's kind of how we got into this whole world. It was just kind of scratching an itch, the itch, two itches, really that creative itch. And then also the, how do we raise money, smart kids? And also I like the idea that 
most of the time media is used to sell stuff to kids. And this was an opportunity to do something where we're not just getting them excited about consumerism, but we're spending smart and then sharing and saving. That's kind of close to where we are today. So John, tell us the backstory. What happened in your life from a money perspective that led up to that initial conversation between you and your wife when your oldest daughter was six months old? I was very much a spender and coming to LA as a spender is not necessarily the best thing to do. You know, and you're making decent money as a producer of an animated show, but it's not like big money. But I would be around some people who had some serious money. And I remember this one person saying, you know, you got to have the finer things. You need a nice watch and you need this. And I remember getting caught up in that. For me, it was, a, I just decided it was not interesting to me to have. I got some nice watch. I was like, it's just a watch. But I realized one that it's an unwinnable game. You know, this was a person who they were making an order of magnitude, if not orders of magnitude, more money than I was. So their ability to have those finer things, it was just something that was like, you know, them going to the convenience store to get something. Whereas for me, it was a major expense. And I just realized that after a few of those kind of purchases, they did nothing for me. You were learning that spending money on big ticket items or fancier versions of things wasn't your deal. But were you still a spender or were those observations kind of helping you change to not be a spender? Yeah, I was thinking about it, but I still wasn't that smart about it. And it really was my, and the funny part is my parents were very frugal, but when I met my wife, she really, she is a more of a kind of save first type person. So that really helped get my head on straight. As we developed the money mammals, we did a lot of research and have done a lot of research since then. You realize over time through your own experience and through the experience of others that this idea that getting on the hedonic treadmill, the idea that you are going to be able to, these purchases only have a very temporary effect on any kind of happiness, if you want to use that word, or fulfillment that you're going to have. You know, you're, you're really not going to find any kind of fulfillment through stuff. And this is not to say that you know everybody's going to have certain things that they're going to want, right? It's that temporary effect that I think is really important to, it was important for me to learn, and it's important for us to get across to our kids and hopefully to kids who get exposed to the material that we've created. John, you have to go a little deeper. You and your wife, you're a spender, she's a saver. That could be hard. How did you all reconcile that? Give us some of the, the tools or the methods. It's a big issue and it comes up all the time. Like I teach a class to parents and one of the most common, and this is about how to raise money smart kids. And one of the most common questions that comes up is what if you and your partner are not in sync? I don't really have an answer to that one. We got in sync because my path was kind of going towards this idea that I really needed to be smarter about money. I would say a more seminal moment for me was when I got my first credit card, I purchased a computer on credit. And that computer that was roughly $2,000 ended up costing me $3,000 after I paid off the interest. Since that point, I did not carry a balance on my credit card. So I yeah, I learned my lesson on it. It was, a, you know, it was a hard lesson and I learned my lesson. So I was moving towards that direction and we luckily had conversations, you know, prior to, <laughs> to tying the knot about how we felt about money. And we were kind of 
aligned pretty well. And we've stayed fairly aligned. I'm very fortunate. We're very fortunate to be aligned because it is very difficult if you are not aligned with your partner to not only deal with your own financial situation, but also figure out a way that you're going to talk to your kids about money. John, I'm curious, were you and your wife in these conversations about money, did you have a separate values conversation? Because in my experience working with clients, when partners are on a different page money-wise, sometimes that can be because they're just there's some lack of alignment on values elsewhere. And uncovering that situation can help them sync up. You know, I think part of the reason that we were attracted to each other was we shared a similar value system. So that's part of it. But we actually did, she's Catholic, I'm not, but we did what's called pre-Cana. It's something in some form, whether you're going to do it as a secular thing or, or not, the idea that you sit down and really go through, you really align your values. You talk a lot about your values. It's over the course of multiple days. That was pretty valuable because we really did delve into anything that we might have not been aligned on. I don't even remember exactly what we might have had misalignment on, but we fairly quickly, I think, got aligned <laughs> with anything that was problematic. You're underscoring the importance of having these conversations. And you said that you don't have guidance for those who are separate and can't find that alignment. But what we've heard on many tales, someone's partner thinks differently some really interesting ideas. And one I'll highlight is that you have some is kept over for partner A, money kept over for partner B, and then there's shared expenses, things like that just keeps that pressure off, you know, so that the spender can spend as long as it's we're still contributing to the pot number C that is for the family. And I, I really appreciated some of those examples. Yeah, I think that is a good strategy. I worry about the kind of long-term nature of that strategy, because I think I don't have any generic advice. I interviewed Brad Klontz, who wrote a book called Money Mammoth. He's a money psychologist. I, I'm not sure how he would exactly describe himself, but he is. Yeah, he has a degree in child psychology, and he's also, I believe, a CFP. He's brought that together. Very sharp guy, but he said on my podcast, it's like, you know, you have to take all personal advice with a grain of salt. You know, and this is a guy who dispenses personal advice. I think he's right, especially anything that's, general personal advice. You know, once you delve in and talk, that's that's why I love in the classes what the best part is when you can actually have the one-on-one -on -one conversation because then you can get deep into what the problem is and try to come up with a solution that's going to work for that person. So I'm glad you brought that up, Cammy. There usually are solutions and that kind of solution is going to be kind of a one-on-one. -on -one. I think it goes back to what we were talking about before we uh, jumped on and we were talking about coaching. There's something to be said about, you know, having some kind of person, you know, if you're misaligned, who's helping to kind of coach you through that process. What I like about the fact that you guys are doing this Money Tales podcast is it's so much about just starting a conversation with your kids and starting that early, just laying the groundwork and saying, okay, this is an open topic for discussion. And, you know, if we're going to go down this path, I'm here to answer questions. If I can't answer the question, I'll try to find a resource for it. But this is not going to be a taboo subject in our household. We're going to dive in and we're going to address these whatever issues come up. John, tell us about money mammals and the work that you're doing. I'm curious to know what you've learned about money since doing this project that is so heavily focused on money and money conversations with younger people. 
Well, the money mammals, the whole idea here is to get kids excited about money from a young age. The general idea was let's take something that's not very fun on its face, uh, financial literacy, and make it exciting for kids. That primes them for the parents then to have start a conversation. That's really the idea behind the money mammals is get kids excited, then the parents can have a conversation. But one of the things that I discovered in this process is that uh, I realized, well, the parents then, of course, need help. And so I wrote a book called The Art of Allowance to kind of bridge that gap and help parents feel empowered to be their kids' guides, whatever their financial situation is. And the book is short, and it's designed really to just provide kind of, it's a guide for parents to give basic ideas of how you can go about this, but you're going to craft your own system because you're different from me. Your kids are different from our kids and your kids within your family are all going to be different. So you're going to have to craft somewhat different systems to work with your different kids. But there are kind of basics that you can kind of use as a scaffold for the system that you're setting up. So John, you got to help me. What are the basics? Well, for the young kids, it's the, the three kind of core money smart skills that we focus on are setting and saving for goals, making smart money choices and distinguishing between needs and wants, making money smart choices. That is the good starting position uh, because the thing you want your kids to understand is that you are always making choices about money. The question is whether you're going to be mindful about those or not going to be mindful. And it doesn't mean that you always have to be mindful. Just like in meditation, you want to be aware of when you're not being mindful so that you can kind of get yourself into that mindful space, particularly if you're dealing with a decision that's of consequence. You know, if we're talking about a dollar or two, not necessarily of consequence. But if you're talking about taking out a student loan, that's of major consequence. Starting them early on this idea that you need to be making money choices. You want to be making smarter choices for yourself as you move down the path towards money empowerment. That's what we're helping parents to do by starting early. I think that's really smart because not only are the conversations with children about money important, but the modeling that the parents do around money is just as important. And most people, in my experience, we're learning from the modeling without the conversation that goes with it. So there is no opportunity when you're learning by modeling to really grasp the context in which decisions are being made. So this is great, John. I think talking about mistakes you've made has to be part of this because the learning can't be from the, I only make smart decisions and here are all my smart decisions. Then you have to step away and let them make some mistakes. Or I'd love to hear your thoughts on letting kids make those mistakes with their money to then learn from it. Yeah. I mean, you took the words right out of my mouth. I mean, that's really exactly, you want to give them an allowance. The purpose of an allowance, we could talk if we have time about the structure of an allowance. The purpose of it is for your kids to learn to use money as a tool for themselves. And that is going to include making mistakes how do we all learn? We learn from making mistakes. And then like you said, you know, we share our own mistakes. And that is, it's that vulnerability that your kids can see, they can understand. It makes it easier for them then to come to you when they're having a problem. They can say, okay, you don't know everything. So we can go and we can have a discussion about it. Particularly if you don't, there's, there are areas where you know, I'm certainly not an expert but it doesn't mean that we can't have a discussion about it. And I can maybe point you in a direction that will be helpful to you. 
So the mistakes are such a key. This is not easy for any of us who are parents to willingly set up a system where our kids are going to make mistakes, but it's no different than sending them to school, putting them on a sports team, giving them piano lessons. They're going to screw all those things up and that's how they learn. Yeah. Well, you're making me think of the different recent modes of parenting. We had the helicopter parents at first and then the snowplow parents. What you're saying, it harkens back to my childhood. My parents were (laughs) gone at work and I'd come home and my sister and brother would get home from school and we were on our own for a while. So I don't even know if that happens so much anymore these days. What is a snowplow parent? A snowplow parent just removes all the obstacles. So they're not hovering around trying to direct things or see where things are headed, but they're actually trying to remove obstacles and and create a very nice glide path for their children. Parenting in general is really interesting. I've often been disappointed that life doesn't come with a parenting manual. So the fact that you've put together an allowance manual for parents, I think is a great thing. I wrote the book because I wanted a book like that. Yeah. You know, there's obviously a lot of books about parenting, but you, I mean, you do have to figure it out on your own to some extent, definitely want to get, there's been plenty of parents that we can learn from. Tapping into that is a wonderful opportunity. That's why a podcast like this is great because as a parent, I can come in here, I can listen to this, I can get some ideas, and then I can try to incorporate them into whatever I've got going on with uh, my own kids. Speaking of your own kids, they're becoming adults. So you're past the allowance conversations. What are the conversations today you're having with them around money? They're adulting now, right? That's their... <laughs> well, it's interesting because my older daughter is now in college and next year she'll be moving off campus. So she's going to start having to deal with all the things, you know, utilities and all that uh, information. And not only that, there's also the conversations you have to have with your roommates. And that can get uncomfortable because discussing money amongst your peers is one of the more difficult things for any of us to do. And especially if someone is, if one person is really on top of it and another person is not, that can be difficult. So it'll be interesting to see what direction she goes there. I would say, you know, the biggest challenge we're having right now is just dealing with her being on her own. She worked over the summer. Then she started classes and she was spending a lot of her money. And part of that is we kind of miscalculated how much food would be on her own. You didn't put in an 8% inflation rate? We didn't have the 8% inflation rate and they can't really make much of their own food because they're in a freshman dorm. That's been a little bit of a challenge, but it's been a challenge we've been discussing and she got a job. And so she has has a job while she's at school. And then she's obviously going to have a job when she comes home. And then we had a tax bill come due from her work last year. And that was something we had to actually extend her a loan. And what we did is we're going to give her a three-month no interest on the loan if she pays us back. And she's working to pay us back on that. So these things come up. And then she broke one of her phones and she's still paying for the other phone. The reason I bring this up (laughs) is that 
Yes. And, and this is a kid that's been, we've been talking to her a long for a lot about money for a long time. And it's not a matter of everything going smooth sailing, right? Towards money empowerment. It's a matter of having the open conversation about it so that some kids are going to be easier to deal with on this. Some are going to need more. She's just more like I was. I kind of get where she is, uh, where her brain is. We have conversations. We're just working out how this is going to work for her in the real world. There's kind of a money empowerment line that you you want them just to kind of be making steady progress, but they're going to be ups and downs on the path. John, I like what you're saying. And I think you're emphasizing that there's plenty of room for experimentation too. You can try things with your kids and see if they work. And if they don't work, you just move on, try something different, or you keep doing it. And oftentimes, if there are multiple children in the family, they're different from one another and they require different things. So do you have any comments or stories to share on that front where you have to kind of tweak the approach um, from one child to the next? I think one of the things you want to do is you have to be careful of being, I think parents you know, they feel like they're successful when their kid is saving a lot, most of their money. Like I see that's, that's the humble brag I see all the time. It's like, oh, my kid's such a great saver. It's great when your kid does do that. But really the challenge is kind of when they get into the real world and they can't just save all their money, you know, they can save some of it. It's helping them navigate making the mindful money choices, right? I think it comes from the Beverly Hillbillies, but my stepfather used to say, which is you got to make sure that you're Gazintas are are higher than your gazautas, you know, and then and then make some money. Hey, John, you're very creative, and I'm curious what your next, what's the next thing for you as you bring to life this really important business you've created. What's next? Well, we just launched a whole new program that includes material for tweens and teens. It's called Adolescence. And we have a kind of good money habits series. And it's part of a program that we partner with credit unions across the country on. So we have the money mammals, then they grow and they become adolescents. And then we have, it's called the Art of Allowance Project is the overall name, but the Art of Allowance Project then has material for the parents. So we empower the parents to raise money smart kids. And so we're always building materials into that program. And the thing that I'm really excited about is I have this class that I told you about called the Art of Allowance Academy, but I'm building out a longer form class where parents will come in. They will, over the course of this time, this is gonna be for younger kids, for parents of younger kids. So early elementary, ready to start an allowance. And over the course of four to five weeks, they'll start an allowance. And then we will go through the process of you know, setting and saving for goals. But the really exciting part is this is a live cohort-based course. So the cohort of parents will come together and share their experiences going through this course about what's working, what's not working, what their kids are doing. And it's that part of, if you've ever taken a cohort-based course, it's that interaction uh, that really is, the, oh, it's so much fun. So I'm developing that and I'm really excited about that opportunity. You'll have to share that with me. That sounds like it's right on target for where we are. It totally does. <laughs> hey, John, what's your next money conversation going to be? And who's it going to be with? We have the ongoing conversation with my college freshman. I mean, that's definitely the next conversation we're going to have because we are going to be helping her with co-signing the lease. 
and talking to the parents and her talking to her roommates about how all that's going to get structured. So that's probably the key next money conversation we're going to have. And hey, John, is she open to having money conversations with you and your wife? Or is she like, oh my God, my parents, they're bringing work into the family. It's both of those things. (laughs) She's as excited about it as a 19-year-old is going to be. She is open to it because she knows that we can be helpful to some extent. You know, she's a 19-year-old, so her parents annoy her too. (laughs) Those are really important conversations to be having. And congratulations to you and your wife and your daughter for participating in them. John, thanks for joining us on Money Tales. Just really fantastic what you've created with Money Mammals and then some. I look forward to reading your book, The Art of Allowance, and possibly joining you in the Academy. But thanks for being part of our Money Tales adventure. Well, thank you, Cammie. Thank you, Sandy. This was a lot of fun. Thanks for listening to the Money Tales podcast. If you've enjoyed this episode, share it with someone you think would benefit from listening and leave us a review on your favorite podcasting platform. Your ratings and reviews help more people find our podcast. If you're inspired to gain clarity and peace of mind about financial matters, don't hesitate to reach out to our team at Asperient. Go to asperient.com forward slash start a dialogue. Or you can email Sandy and me at podcast at See you next time.